round two between the 76ers and the Raptors offered plenty of good storylines. Front and center was the first head-to-head matchup for a pair of stars since both were traded into the Atlantic Division. Butler put it in, and a remarkable falling down shot. Butler hanging in the air, throws it up, and got it to go. Leonard gets another right-hand jam, a thunderous slam by Kawhi Leonard. He might just be the best player in the game right now. Wow! No, Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard did not disappoint, but the Sixers came up short in Toronto again. We recap the matchup and discuss other Sixers things with Serena Winters. It was an early barometer. So that doesn't mean that that barometer is not going to be more even come April. It just means that there's a little bit of ways to go. NBC Sports Philadelphia Sixers reporter Serena Winters, our guest on this week's edition of The Broadcast. What's going on out there, 76ers pod people? Hope everything is good and well in your world, relatively speaking, of course. Know that Wednesday night's game in Toronto stings, a 113-102 loss to the Raptors. 13th straight time, the Sixers have dropped a regular season game in the North, and they will have to wait until next year to try and end that trend. Uh, But of course, who knows, wouldn't be entirely out of the question whatsoever if these two division and conference rivals would meet up once again in the postseason. But two more matchups between the Sixers and the Raptors on the calendar with the next one coming up in just uh, a few days, right before the Christmas holiday at the center. My name is Brian Seltzer. As always, we very much appreciate your checking out the podcast. You can subscribe through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, SoundCloud, TuneIn, any one of your favorite podcasting platforms should have us. All you got to do is type in Sixers Podcast Network, and that should take you to our feeds. So, yeah, Wednesday night on the road against the Raptors was not a game that ended up the way the 76ers wanted it to go. Sixers went into the matchup with the second-highest win total in the NBA with 17. Toronto led the league with 20 dubs, and Toronto would end up getting uh, number 21 at the expense of the Sixers. I thought things got off to a pretty good start in that one. The Sixers led by six points after a quarter, and it felt like going into the final four to five minutes of the first half, the team was in a pretty good spot. But then Kawhi Leonard, who had already been scoring, at will in the game, seemed to flick a switch. His teammates responded. The urgency level of the Raptors, understandably and perhaps not so surprisingly, intensified as well. you got to remember they were coming off just their fifth loss of the season on Monday at home against the Denver Nuggets, and uh, Toronto took things to another level. The Sixers hung around in the third quarter. Um, They got that big dunk from Joe to open up the fourth quarter to give them a brief lead. But after that, it was pretty much all Toronto. And their reserves, for as big as Kawhi Leonard was um, and Serge Ibaka was uh, in Wednesday's game, the bench, led by Jonas Valanciunas for the Raptors, was really important to helping Toronto seize control of that game on Wednesday night. So the final score, once again, was 113-102. It was a big game and thought it was certainly worthy of a post-mortem discussion with 76ers reporter from NBC Sports Philadelphia, Serena Winters. And before the 76ers flew out of Toronto to Detroit for Friday's game against the Pistons, Serena and I sat down to talk after our respective independent lunch ventures. If I really had my off-day act together, I would probably 
take a page out of the Serena Winters playbook. I would invigorate myself, go to the gym, do something worthwhile with my time. I need to get onto that plan. I, I don't have that part of my life down yet. <laughs> I did make it to the gym today. I did. And I went for a stroll in Toronto and even got through to some emails. Didn't have time to eat the lunch. Got lunch. It's just sitting next to me here so I, I can be with you, Brian. That's because you're being passionate about taping a podcast before we hopped on a plane to exactly. suburban Detroit. Exactly. I ran and stuffed my face full of uh, poutine. That, that's how I'm spending my free poutine! time. Poutine! I feel like i got to do it. I know that's like a cliched thing to have in Toronto or Canada. I guess from what I've read, it's really a Montreal thing. But there are places I go to, and I'm like, I just got to gotta sample more of the local fare. And when I come to Toronto, I just try to... I'm trying to check a couple different poutine places off my list. So you enjoy the poutine? There are parts of the poutine I enjoy. I don't know if I fully enjoy it. Like if I saw it on the menu at a restaurant in Philadelphia, I don't know if I'd get it. But there are parts of it that I enjoy. Like I like gravy. I like french fries. I like cheese. It's just a lot. I have to go with a very small portion size. Very heavy. There's a lot. There's a lot happening in, in the poutine. So I did the exact opposite of like going to the gym or something like that. That's okay. That's all right. I like to uh, go to the gym and then also eat nachos. There you go. You know, so you just balance each other out. Work hard, play hard. Exactly. Or just work hard, eat hard. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Um, I had some time over lunch to think about what we saw Wednesday night in Toronto. And I, I kind of, listen, there was so much build up to the game. There was a lot of excitement. And if you follow the Sixers, if you're a fan of the team, um, of course you're disappointed by the outcome. I think Brett Brown and the players were too. But it definitely was a different type of game than the first time around. It's a different team than the first time around. So a day later, what are your thoughts on what we saw at Scotiabank Arena? It was a different game the first time around. I think that now having slept on it and thinking about that game and looking back at that game, one of the things I will remember is how poorly the Raptors shot, especially in that first half. And... You've got to take advantage of that if you were the Sixers. And so I kind of look back at that, and I think to myself, man, there were so many opportunities, so many chances for the Sixers to beat what is now the best team in the NBA. It, it felt like it was there. It felt like the Raptors were off their game. Yeah. And when one of the best teams is off their game and you haven't won in their building, you just want to take advantage of it. Um, so that's one of the things. And of course the turnovers, because it also happened the last time that we were here. I know that Ben had 11 the first time he had seven the other night. And I think they had at least 17 points, gave up at least 17 points off their turnovers against the Raptors. But what I will say is that they definitely had a chance to beat the best team in the NBA. Saw some good things defensively, um, and and they had their moments. They had their spurts. I just wish that in that second half they would have. M- Monty Williams used a term with me at the half. He just said, "We got to bring the juice. We got to bring the juice when we come out. And if we bring the juice, we'll win this game." But there were some parts in the third and fourth that were a little juiceless, Brian. A little juiceless. 
<laughs> I agree. I, I, when I when I saw Kyle Lowry missing some open looks, Danny Green missing some open looks in the first half, you're like, how some much? Some open looks. <laughs> Kyle Lowry couldn't hit a shot. He I'm was over five. You're being right. too kind, Brian. You got to take advantage of that. I am, and, and you're absolutely right. I, I'm because you're watching that unfold, and I, I thought there were times the Sixers made the Raptors work for it, especially in the first half. I thought their transition defense was pretty good, disrupted some things with Toronto on the break. It was okay. It was a step in the right direction. They did score a lot of points off transition. I thought in the second half that changed yeah. in a big way when Kawhi really started to take it to another level. Um, he's good, isn't he? Gosh, he's you really just sit good. back and you go, man, is he good. And, he, and they say he's not even 100% yet. I know. So, so that was one thing we're watching last night. You were like, even compared to that October 30th game, like – Kawhi seemed to have found a different gear. Um, so you're watching the Sixers are up by nine, and then Jimmy hits that three-pointer to give them a six-point lead late in the first half, and you're thinking, all right, scoreboard-wise, this is looking good. But as you said, there were things in the underbelly of what was going on that made you feel unsettled. But uh, I, I thought the deficit felt larger at the end of the half than it was based mm -hmm. on that 13-nothing run yes. where Kawhi really flicked the switch. Uh, I thought it was good to see them come back and take the one-point lead after the Muscal threes late in the third. Mm -hmm. I kind of thought that the game was hanging in the balance. Well, there they was a big a scoring drought there, right? Hadn't yeah. the Sixers not scored in like three minutes, something yeah. like that? And then they kind of, with Jimmy feeling it, like right. he, he sparked them and got them back into it. Joe had that jam to begin the fourth, and you're like, okay, there may be daylight here. There might be something. But there's just such a slim margin fair against, like you were saying, a team that that's good, that that's deep. I mean, that's the other thing. They are a deep, deep team. When you watched that game, didn't you go, wow, this bench is good? Like, you, you, forget, you forget that because they have so many good starters. You forget how deep the bench is. And Fred Van Leet, um, he didn't play. First against, game, correct. Yes, the first game because he had that toe injury. Correct. So that was something, too, where – we didn't get to see him the first time around. So seeing him this time, he, he's a big part of what they do too. He's great. OG Ananobi is great. Yeah. I know he's a starter, but I think Pascal Siakam, like he may not do a bunch of stuff stat-wise. The exactly. first game he had a great stat game, but just what he does for their rebounding, and that was a huge story um, in the game on Wednesday. But uh, Especially the offensive rebounding. I know that's always been a focus for the Sixers is to limit the offensive rebounding of the opposing team. And we saw a lot of offensive rebounds for Toronto the first half. What I will say, though, Brian, I was surprised that Toronto didn't get more points off their offensive rebounds. So the Sixers kind of got lucky there. They did. Didn't, didn't take advantage of that. And it sounds like such a simple thing. And for me, I know this is something that I probably overlook just about every game day we have when I just, like, take account of the final box sheet is who's had more shots. And, you know, if a team has three or four more shots – five or six more shots, who knows. But when there's, like, you start to get into the double-digit disparity, just, by, like, you know, um, I think Toronto, I'm looking right now, Toronto made three more shots, took 12 more, um, and, uh, you know, you're what's that? That's, like, 25%. <laughs> but they still made three more shots. And in a game like that, it's an 11-point deficit uh, at the end. You know, that, that can make a difference. And the reason why you've got a team that's taken more shots is because of turnovers and offensive rebounds. Right. right. I mean, at the end of the day, the offensive rebounds are leading to an extra shot every time, and the turnovers are too. So if you could have cut back on those, we wouldn't have seen the shot discrepancy. Um, the other thing that uh, – talking about the bench that I thought stood out, 
in both games, Jonas Valanciunas. Yes. I mean, that to be able to bring in a guy who's as accomplished as he is off the bench – I mean, there's not a lot of guys, uh, not a lot of teams, I should say, that can, you know, obviously um, throwing Surge out there. That, that's a smaller look, for, but he obviously is very, very good. And then if you can bring Jonas off the bench, I mean, that's that's a tough load to corral. He looked good. And Joel Embiid, who we haven't talked about yet, he had a tough night. He had a tough night against him. He, Jonas was able to push Joel a couple feet farther than I'm sure the Sixers would have liked him to be offensively, and I think that really affected the team's offense. But yeah, he, he had a strong night, man. He had a strong night, and he seemed locked in from the get-go against arguably the best, if not one of the best centers in the NBA. I was really impressed with Toronto's defense, especially on Joe, like the aggressive help they brought into the paint. Um, they put up fancy offensive numbers, but they, they're such a well-rounded team. And uh, it, it was just – for me, though, it was great theater. Like, you know, we can – I'm not saying these are, uh, these are not obvious narratives, but you've got the Kawhi-Jimmy angle. You've got the top two teams in terms of win totals and the league going at it, conference rivals, division rivals. It was just uh, – it was great theater. Um, and I, I thought it was a healthy perspective that everyone seemed to take, um, led by Brett after the game. On top of that, just because you mentioned all the, you know, the narratives, the healthy theater, I mean, not only we've talked about how the Sixers have not won in Toronto since Brett Brown has been head coach, but did you know that the Sixers have not beaten Kawhi Leonard? That's a good one. They have not beaten Kawhi Leonard. They are now Kawhi is now 12 and 0 against the Sixers, Brian. 12 and 0. Because now that I'm thinking of it, he didn't play the two games that the Sixers beat the Correct. Spurs last year. Yes. Hmm. So there was just so many different – there were so many layers to that game. Yeah. There really were. And, and, I mean, there was definitely positives to take away. There was definitely growth. Um, Jimmy having his most aggressive night offensively. Little things like I remember, even with a minute left in that game, when it seemed very much like – the Sixers were done. In the timeouts, Jimmy being very assertive, telling, you know, whether it's Ben or somebody else, we got to do this defensively, we still got this, you know, very much in it with a minute remaining and it pretty clear that the Sixers were going to lose that one. Those types of things are important to me because trying to, to push that fight all the way through to the end, I think that's a big positive, not trying to, to give it up. Those are all learning moments. Um, so there's definitely a positive to take away. But then some of the same storylines from the first game, like the turnovers, cleaning that type of stuff up. There was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of the B word being thrown around before the game on Wednesday, the barometer word. Oh, uh, the lot barometer. Of the B word. Yeah, the, the early uh, barometer. The good old like December that, the barometer. B word. Yeah. Um, but I don't think, uh, you know, uh, there's like, is this a barometer? And then there's also the, it's December 5th. And I, I don't think that those things need to be mutually exclusive. Like, it is a barometer yeah. for December 5th. And it's, the outcome was a better barometer than what you got on October 30th. And now you're going to have two more opportunities against a really good team in your building before the season's done. The next one coming up the Saturday before Christmas right. at the center. Um so I, I don't think that those things, the idea of it being a barometer, but then it also still being early in the season, they need to be mutually exclusive. Because I do think um, 
as we look at what Jimmy Butler did, if other guys are on, you know, if Joel is feeling comfortable in doing his thing, and obviously Ben, maybe you get a little bit more from there. Uh, I think those two guys would be the first to tell you they weren't on top of their game Wednesday night. Then you're looking at a different deal. And, and I mean, I, I just – you can't deny the weapon that Jimmy poses. I mean, he – it was fun to watch. You mentioned the early barometer, and I think you make a good point there because we have used that term a lot. But barometer doesn't mean that this is where we're going to see them in the postseason. Barometer means, okay, what is it that we still have to work on? What are our deficiencies still clearly? Are we looking a little bit better than we looked a month ago? And I think we had a little bit of answers there. Maybe maybe for fans it's not the answers that they they want, but that's just because they're passionate fans and, and want to see them to beat Toronto. Right. Um, but, but it was an early barometer. You, you saw where the Sixers are. You saw where they're headed. And there's still time. Brett will always tell you that he doesn't even want to – look at where they're at until after Christmas, that he divides the season up into thirds, right? So that doesn't mean that that barometer is not going to be more even come April. It just means that there's a little bit of ways to go. Patience. It's not Patience. easy. But the good news is in the good old NBA, another game right on the doorstep, and the Sixers have one. Another big one against the Detroit Pistons uh, on Friday. But um, Incredibly, we're almost at the 30-game mark of this season. How? How did it go so fast? I don't know. I don't know. Um, And all things considered, is there a sting from a loss like Wednesday? Sure, but the Sixers, they're in a great spot. That's easy to say. I mean, I know uh, I'm I'm the team digital guy, but (laughs) you step back, and I think a lot of teams would envy uh, the position that the Sixers are in right now. Um, You know, they they do have more work to be done, some things to iron out. but what have been your biggest takeaways from your first, uh, what are we now, two months, full months almost, when we uh, account for the regular season into the end of this year? Biggest takeaways. I love that there's such a family vibe around the team. That starts with Brett. I know that he helps to create that. Um, but that guys genuinely care they care about each other. And, you know, me being new around here, new with the team, that is something that has been very, very easy to pick up on, that it's more than just basketball at the Sixers organization. And I think that's important. I think that's how you build the culture that they are finally at. Um, basketball takeaways that Joel Embiid is so good, but they also rely so much on him um, and need him to step up in those big moments. And we've seen what happened, for example, against Toronto when he doesn't have his best game, right? I mean, they were in that game with Joel not having a good game, with probably having one of his, his... Maybe one of his worst performances of the year. And the Sixers, in terms of production, yeah. Exactly. The Sixers were still very much in that game. Imagine if he had, you know, one of his dominant performances, or not even dominant, but one of just a more productive night where they could have been in that game. Um, watching Ben, he has so much defensive potential. It's just about doing it from start to finish. And that's hard for someone to say 
because you're not in their shoes in a starter. But we've seen games like, for example, against Memphis, where Ben's just locked in defensively and what that does for the team. Um, And also that Jimmy's bringing something here. I think that there's something tangible that, that he can really bring to this team, whether that's leadership, whether that's accountability, whether that's speaking up. He's bringing something. And I'm excited to see what happens when he feels like he fits in and when he does feel a little bit more comfortable um, and he can continue to provide that leadership. I think he's bringing some swag and moxie. (laughs) Some moxie? He's got like a different – I think Joel and Ben are certainly well on their way to stardom, if not an even higher level of just plain old stardom. But Jimmy's got this thing where he's a little bit older. He's been through a couple more things. He's achieved a little bit more individually. Um, and he has got this, I feel like, uh, easygoing inner confidence, uh, like a, a kind of, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like he's got like a, a man somewhat at peace with the way things are right now, obviously motivated and driven. Um, but he's got some swag. I don't know if that comes from his humor. Uh, he, he works so hard, but he's also got this, you know, just, uh, natural, I think unforced sense of humor about him. I think he does too. And I think that in any profession, in any walk of life, I think that sometimes change is good. And Joel and Ben have been here for a while and are the leaders of this team. And sometimes it's good to, to shake things up a bit with a little bit of change and see how that helps motivate and help grow these guys. Like you said, Jimmy is a bit older, a bit wiser in the basketball world, has some advice to give, some tips to give, and some wisdom to pass on. Um, and he's fun to talk to. I don't know if you ever just like caught up with him outside of the locker room or the scrums. Or I mean, he's he's just human. Like he's just an easy guy to chat with, and that type of stuff goes a long way, especially when you're the new guy coming into an organization. You know, having teammates and people around feel comfortable just chatting with you about anything. Well, your two-part series on NBC Philly, NBCSportsPhilly.com, was great. Like that oh, gave great. Oh, just the Q and A. Listen, yeah, great. It was. I mean, I loved. Uh, I learned that he must be a fan of the um, the Christian Bale Batman series. Yes. With some of the quotes he rolled out mm-hmm. there, I thought his response to your question, I think, was something like, um, "Do you understand what Joel is saying?" Yeah, yet? I thought his <laughs> answer that hilarious? was just give me the insert something ball. Yes, which is true, by the way, because if you're ever around a huddle. Any fans that sit sit nearby, I'm sure they hear Joe say that quite a bit in the timeouts. What's it like being around the huddle? That has to be, and I've noticed these are the weird things that I observe. You sit behind the stanchion and the basket yes. behind one of the end lines. Not always the most typical spot for a sideline reporter, but no. I would think that that's to get more frequent, easy access to being able to roam. But getting the insight of what's in a huddle has got to be, I would think, among the, the top perks. It's... It's fun. It, it brings. It's funny. It brings me back to because I grew up playing basketball, and for a minute you you kind of forget that you're uh, covering the team, and it's almost like you're you're listening in on the huddle, like you were playing basketball back in the day. Um, but it just what I what I look for in huddles, Brian, is I like to see what guys are communicating with each other. Is Jimmy talking to Ben? Is Jimmy talking to Landry? Is TJ pulling Landry aside? Is Monty Williams or Billy Lang talking to one of the players? I look for those types of cues. You look for nonverbal type stuff, and then when Brett comes over and, and and draws something up, you look you look at who's who's paying attention. You know, when you look at um, 
what types of tips Jimmy just gave Landry defensively because he's a rookie and had to guard Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, Jimmy's saying, Landry, you've got to get stops and telling him what to do. And, and all that types of that type of stuff, that's what that's what builds your culture. That's what builds the, the camaraderie there. Um, but I will also say that it's kind of funny because depending on the arena and depending on where I am and depending on how close Brett Brown is to me, I always feel a little bit awkward because – you know, I kind of can stick out like a sore thumb. So I, I try to make myself not too visible, but I will tell you, it is really hard to hear, <laughs> especially in Philly because the fans are so loud, because the arena is so loud. So you really got to concentrate to pick up on anything. His lip reading, have you become more proficient with that? Like, is it a ripley, uh, lip reading part of it? It absolutely, yeah, you have to become proficient with the lip reading. And Honestly, a lot of the times when I'm over there, you're not reporting on this stuff that's that you're even seeing. You know, you're you're selective with with anything that you would say about the huddle that to use for the broadcast, right? A like if you the, came out and said, "Hey, fans, Brett Brown just called ear tug post." Like, what does that even mean, <laughs> ex- really, ex- to right. the average fan who's sure, watching? Sure, sure. But what I think, like I said, is fun is is Monty Williams pulling somebody aside, yeah. or seeing a, a defensive mistake that keeps happening with one of the guys and TJ showing so-and-so something. I think that type of stuff is interesting to fans. Um, and then you also get the mood. You get the vibe of the team during the game at that point in time, right? Like during that Cleveland game, which I'm sure no no fan wants to remember, but their one loss at home. Oh, knowing yes, what game, knowing what the vibe was, right? Yeah. I think those types of things are important because you it would be a problem if no one cared in the huddle. But right. pe- but people cared. <laughs> and that would probably only inform stuff that you did more going forward, you know, exactly. picking up on things. Um so we're gonna wrap this up. Do you have a favorite walk off interview that you have done so far? Favorite walk off interview that I've done so far? Probably Jimmy Butler's second game winner. His second game the winner, one. the Brooklyn one. Mm-hmm. Just because the fact that he had a second game winner in the same exact fashion as the first game winner—it really is crazy. I mean, it's <laughs> it's funny. Like you look at Brooklyn, and you go, "Come on, Brooklyn! You knew you knew what was coming here." Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, Who said it? Someone didn't read the. Sc- I think it was JJ at one point said. Yeah, they just must have not, not read the scouting, film or scouting, read the scouting report. report. So I, I remember that one. That one was that one was fun. That was a good one. It has been a fun start to the season. We have the next stop on the tour up in Detroit and a plane to catch. So onward to the Motor City we go. Serena, thanks so much. Anytime, Brian. Good stuff. From NBC Sports Philadelphia, Sixers sideline reporter Serena Winters. And we'll take her up on that offer. Anytime, she says. We will make a point of doing that again at some point down the road before the season wraps up. A reminder that for another important 76ers game on Friday, Serena and the rest of the outstanding local NBC Sports Philadelphia squad, Mark Zumoff, Ala Abdelnavi, will bring you coverage all game long from Little Caesars Arena. Game time is at 7 o'clock, and that threesome will uh, bring you all you need to know surrounding another big game for the 76ers, the Pistons, and the Sixers, even in the loss column at 9. 
going into Friday's game, the Sixers have played four more times than the Pistons and uh, are plus four in the win column. But each team has won once at home in the season series. Sixers in Detroit will also play again on Monday at the center. Just like that, that'll be it for the season series between the Sixers and the Pistons, two teams currently in the top four of the East. I want to thank Serena Winters for taking the time to talk. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to that talk. And we will speak to you next week right here on the broadcast. See you.